Oh, hey guys, how are you? Doing okay? Good. Um, happy Father's Day to you, and uh, oh man, this is good to be back. I'm really excited to, to be here for me. Um, I was on staff here for a while, so coming home, uh, it just always feels like that. And so, um, actually get to be here with you for... Um, four of the next five uh, Sundays, uh, unless I really mess up today, and then they'll, they'll call or something. But um, really glad. I hope you have a great day today. And um, tell you what I hate about hiccups. Um, I can't stand them. Um, I'm one of those guys that when you get hiccups, like I, I, I don't get them very often, but when I do, they last like multiple, multiple hours, if not like the whole day. It's, it's an awful experience. I just had a, a run with it where I had hiccups for two and a half hours straight, y'all, two and a half hours. And by the end of that, like your body hurts, your face hurts. It was awful. I, I just thought I was going to die from, from hiccups, which would just be like the lamest way to die, by the way. But I was like, just please stop. And so um, I made the mistake of just like sending a, a tweet out about that experience, which links to my Facebook, um, just talking about how the fact that I'm stuck with hiccups. In eight minutes, I received 794 remedies for <laughs> overcoming hiccups because everybody chimes in when you've got a problem, you know, then they've got an answer and they've got a remedy. And so it was drink water or drink water upside down eat a spoonful of peanut butter, eat a whole jar of peanut butter, eat peanut butter while drinking water upside down, and then somebody was like, you know, lick a goat or whatever. I'm like, what, how is that going to help? All these like crazy ideas from people. Um, you know that like just whenever you're faced with like something weird or difficult, everybody's got a plan, everybody's got an idea, everybody's got a way to help fix you, right? Sometimes they're helpful, but a lot of times not so much. And in our world and in our culture, there is just so much out there for us to navigate and figure out in life, stuff that is good for us, but then other things that are just temptations that are not so good, and, and everybody's got an idea about those things as well, and what's going to help you overcome this, or help you avoid that, or help set you up better for this. And if we're not careful, um, we, we just can become kind of our own God and our own, our own master um, in this culture that's just filled with all sorts of options and all sorts of, of choices out there. Um, when I was in elementary school, in kindergarten, the little kids were separate from the big kids on the playground, which really bummed me out because I, I would go out at recess and Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark had just come out and I thought that I was Indiana Jones. And I, I took a jump rope and I would whip girls with it. And I would drag my buddies along with me. Even if they were guys, I would make them Marion, the girl, and just go, you play the girl part and I'll, you know, whip you or whatever. And so we'd just go out and have fun. But one, one, one day I, I got an idea. Because on the other side, on the big kid's side of the playground, was the mother of all jungle gyms. I mean, this was the biggest, most glorious jungle gym you've ever seen in your entire life. It reached up to the sky. Jesus was only like five feet higher than this jungle gym. It was beautiful. And I thought if I could only get over to it and climb it, I mean, that's Indiana Jones would totally do something like that. And so um, I, I thought I've got to do it, but there was a problem. We were not allowed on the big kid's side. There was a big red stripe 
on the pavement that separated the little kids from the big kids. And if a little kid crossed over to the big kid's side, you would get a pink slip and you couldn't go to the good citizenship movie at the end of the month. No, it didn't deter me either. So I grabbed my best friend, Ted, Marion, and, and I said, come on, let's, let's go. And we rushed across into big kid territory to cl climb the mother of all jungle gyms. And we got over to it, and I had my whip lasso with me, and, and I dragged my buddy Marion up there, and, and we climbed to the very top. I mean, it took us 10 minutes to climb up to the top of this thing, and all the big kids are looking at us because they don't think we belong, and we didn't belong, but we got to the top. And we're just having the greatest time. And I've got the lasso wrapped around me and wrapped around and I'm tying knots and I'm just kind of at the pinnacle of this thing all tied up and then the bell rings. And all the kids scurry back to class and Marion was like, I'm out of here. And he takes off and I'm stuck there. I, I've tied myself in a knot at the top of this jungle gym and I can't get off of it. I'm stuck to it. And I'm thinking, now I'm going to get busted because I'm going to be late for class. And 10, 15 minutes later, I'm still tugging at knots and trying to get out of this thing. Eventually, I got the thing untied. Just as I get it untied, foot slips, and I fell about 10 feet. But luckily, a, a, a bar stopped me about halfway through my fall. I hit this bar on my back and, and, and peed a little bit. And then fell the rest of the way. I learned, I learned a valuable lesson that day. Just because something's on the playground doesn't mean that you should get on it. And in a culture that just says, who cares about the red line? Go wherever you want, do whatever you want. In a world, in a society that has all these different options, a lot of which are really, really awful for us, really tempting, but lead to really awful things, how do we fight that? What are we supposed to do? In a culture that basically just says, make a lot of yourself and minimize God, what are we supposed to do? In, in the book of Hebrews, there's some phenomenal answers for that. And over the next six weeks or so, we're going to be going through this book of Hebrews and just kind of get some, some high points as we do kind of a 30,000 foot flyby over this book of Hebrews. Some phenomenal stuff found in this book. And if you've got your Bible, you can turn to this, this book of Hebrews. It's almost near the end of your Bible. You'd be quicker if you're not familiar to go to the end and work back to the left and you'll hit this book of, of Hebrews. What you need to know right off the bat, though, is this book was written uh, by an author that we're not really sure of. There are some good guesses, but all of them are just guesses. We're not really sure who the author is. But we do know the purpose and the intent of this book, why it was written. There were Jewish people who had converted to Christianity, and as they had converted to be followers of Jesus in their day and age, in their culture, that, that was a big gear shift. And they were definitely standing out. But they had a lot of things competing for their attention. And over time, these Jewish converts to Christianity 
began to be tempted to revert back to Judaism, to revert back to the old rules and regulations of their religion. Others were tempted to kind of merge Jewish faith and tradition with Christianity. And in a response to that, this author of Hebrews writes this letter to these Jewish converts watching them basically do what we're doing in a lot of our culture today, which is to make a lot of us and a little of God. And in a response to that going on in their culture, he, he, he writes this letter and a lot of amazing things are unpacked in this book of Hebrews. But kind of a golden thread that goes through this whole thing is this author trying to elevate people's view of Jesus Christ and knowing that as he is elevated in their life that everything changes and so I'm hoping if that's okay with you this morning this this day here that that we're just going to spend a little bit of time elevating our view of Jesus it's what Hebrews opens with and I'm going to give you four qualities this morning that do two things Four qualities that elevate your view of Jesus and at the same time elevate your power to fight sin and temptation. Because I think that the more that you get to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and understand what he's already done and what he's provided for in your future, and you link yourself to that and link yourself to him, That is the beginning and the end of your fight against sin. So four qualities that I hope will elevate our view of Jesus, but at the same time elevate your power and your ability to fight temptation and sin. And all found in this this book of of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 is where we're starting. Just before this, he's just been distinguishing Jesus from angels making sure that people in the Jewish culture in their day who kind of put angels in a special category, that they knew that Jesus was not just an angel, that he was greater than angels, but that for a time being, he positioned himself as a human being lower than angels. And he's just got done kind of explaining some of that. And we dive in to this first quality, I think it really elevates our view of Jesus, some of which is a reminder for some of you of things that maybe you've lost along the way, and others, maybe a first time, just understanding of what what Jesus is really all about. Verse nine, it says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. In other words, if you're jotting stuff down, you might want to jot this phrase down. Jesus made himself nothing so that we could have everything. Jesus made himself nothing so that we could have everything. 
I mean, he, he gave up an awful lot in becoming human. He gave up his rights. He gave up the glory of heaven. He didn't give up any of his divinity, of his divine nature. He was still 100% God, but he made himself 100% human. And we tend to think sometimes that the real sacrifice that Jesus made started when he went to the cross. But the real sacrifice of Jesus didn't start there. The real sacrifice of Jesus started when he made himself nothing and became one of us. To become a substitute for us, he had to become human. If his rescue mission was to rescue fallen angels, he would have become an angel to be a substitute for them. But since his rescue mission was to rescue fallen human beings, he made himself a human being to become that perfect substitute and representative of us. And as that, that, that representative of human being, of mankind, here's what he did. Three steps. He made himself walk and live a, a holy life. He lived a holy life. He then experienced a really radical death. And then out of that, he raised from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, to be alive in us. He's not dead still, thank you very much. He is alive and well. He lived a holy life. He experienced a radical death, conquering sin and death, so that he could be alive in us. Holy life, radical death, alive again. And as he did that, he opened the door, you guys, he opened the door for us to do the same. As a representative of us, he opened a door for us so that now you and I can live a holy life, you and I can die to sin, and you and I can be born again to live the life that he really called us to live. We're following in the footsteps of this Jesus that made this all possible, holy life, radical death, and then coming back to life to be alive in us, we can now live a holy life because of Jesus. We can die to sin because of Jesus. And then we can live now and forever with him because of Jesus. This struggle in sin and temptation, it all starts and ends with what Jesus has already done for us. That he made himself nothing so that he could give us absolutely everything. Life here, ability to conquer sin and, and in our own life, to fight it, and then someday to be with him forever. That's a phenomenal course of action. If you continue on in verse 11 through 13, these are some of my favorites. It says, both the one who makes men holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy, you and I, are of the same family. That's pretty phenomenal. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers or call them sisters. He says, and he quotes here from Psalm 22, Jesus, this is said of Jesus, I will declare your name, the Father, 
to my brothers in the presence of the congregation, I will sing God's praises. And again, I, Jesus, will put my trust in him, God the Father. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. If you're writing stuff down, a quality that I think is just so phenomenal that should elevate our view of Jesus is this. Jesus is not embarrassed if you call him a brother, even though there are times where we're embarrassed to admit that we're related to him. And if you think about it for just a moment, that, that's pretty silly. If anybody should be embarrassed of anybody, it should be the God of the universe being embarrassed of us, being related to him. And yet the fact is, Jesus is not embarrassed if you call him a brother. He loves the fact that you and I are our little brothers and sisters of his. You've been brought into the family because of what this ultimate big brother has done for you. That God the Father sent the Son to do an amazing work that brings you and I into brotherhood with the Son and we've got the same Father. And this ultimate brother, I mean, just what he's done is, is, is ridiculous. It, what, it's what makes him the ultimate brother. He has done this phenomenal trade for us, Jesus has. You ever do one of those things uh, at Christmas where you do the gift exchange thing? And you know that, those, that, that gift trading sort of deal where you, you buy, if, you know, you might do it with your family or may do it at work. And you buy a whole bunch of presents and then you sit in a big circle and you start to trade, you either got the option of opening a gift that's unopened, take the risk, or you can steal one that you like from somebody that's already opened their present. I hate that game, by the way, but we do it all the time. And there's all that gift trading that goes on. We used to do it here when I was on staff. I'm not making this up. Um, one year, the first gift I opened, I opened an iPod. And I was like, what? This, this, is, a, this is a cool gift. Of course, it got stolen immediately. Got traded multiple times. What I ended the evening with, I'm not making this up, a homemade pair of grandma slippers, and they smelled like oatmeal. This was not a good trade. iPod for oatmeal slippers. This is not happening. But that's what happened. Jesus, on the other hand, as this ultimate big brother, here's the best trade in all of history that takes place when you step into a relationship with Jesus, some of you, this is a reminder. Some of you, this is a clarifying of what already took place maybe years ago when you stepped into a relationship with Jesus. Some of you that aren't followers of Jesus yet, here's just a little bit of a picture of a trade that takes place. If you step into a relationship with God through Jesus, here's what happens. You give Jesus your sin, and in exchange, he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his holiness. That's quite the trade. We give the big brother our sin, and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. 
being in the very nature of God, this holiness and this righteousness that only Jesus had, we inherit. And in that act, it takes us from being enemies to being friends of God. It moves us into the family of God. Because now when God the Father looks at you and me, he just sees the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ. We're brought into the family. That's a pretty phenomenal trait, if you ask me. And so if Jesus isn't embarrassed, if we call him brother, then how could we be embarrassed to admit that we're related to God, to Jesus, especially after what he's done for us? Continue on, verse 14. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, man. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Jesus was made like his brothers in, in every way, 100% human, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of people. Catch this, verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, if you're jotting stuff down, here's an amazing quality that I think elevates our view of Jesus and elevates our ability to fight sin and temptation. It's this. Jesus is the big brother who's walked the road before you, but is paving the road ahead of you. Jesus is this big brother who's walked to this road before you of sin and temptation. And he is paving the road ahead of you, providing a way out and the direction to go. He's already beaten sin and he's beaten death. He's already conquered it by what he did on the cross. The devil loves to tempt you so that you sin, knowing that if you sin and you leave it unchecked, it's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to separation from God. Satan loves to tempt you because it leads to sin, which leads to death or separation from God. But Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross, already put an end to that process. He's already provided a way out. When he died on the cross, he took all the punishment that needed to be given for sin on his body. All of God's wrath and hatred for sin got unloaded on Jesus so that it didn't have to be unloaded on me or on you. And so dads, it's Father's Day. Dad's in this room. Let's just say for a moment that you're not just a dad, but by profession, you're a judge. 
And what if in your courtroom one day in comes some punk who has committed murder or raped somebody? And as a judge, you have to punish that crime if they're guilty. They're guilty of it, you can't just let them walk away. And as a judge, you'd have to do something about it. But on this particular day, you're moved with mercy and grace and compassion. And you look at this punk who's guilty of this crime, and as a judge, you have to do something about it. But as a father, you've got a son, and you make a call to your son, and they bring your son into the courtroom, and you look at this punk kid that's guilty of this crime, and as a judge, you have to punish. But today, you say, here's what we're going to do. You, 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 you've guilt, committed this crime, you're guilty of it. But instead of you taking the punishment that you deserved, we're going to take you, my son, and we're going to take him outside, and he is going to be executed. He's going to be killed, and you get to go free. How many of you would do that as a dad? How many of you would let your son take the punishment for somebody else that's guilty and let them go free? Not me. I wouldn't do it. I got two boys, Braddock and Brody, five years old and almost four year old. And I would not sacrifice their life for yours. Because I love them more than you. <laughs> but that's a good thing I'm not God. Because of this atonement for our sin, the substitute for our sin, he allowed Jesus to become that substitute. He allowed him, and Jesus allowed himself, submitted to the will of this Father to go through that so that you and I could go free. That's pretty huge. That's a big deal. The moment where you're at your worst, when you're at your weakest, when you're at your deepest moment of regret, you gotta know that Jesus has already conquered sin and conquered death. He's paved the way before you and he's providing hope for your future, a way out. A couple of months ago, we went to one of those McDonald's play areas with our kids. These are horrible places if you haven't been. The inside smells like french fries and vomit and uh, <laughs> You kind of just as parents hole up in one corner and try to choke down the food while your kids run up in these like hamster tubes up in the ceiling. And so we're in there and we're eating and uh, Brody, our youngest, we start to hear him screaming out, he's got my shirt, he's got my shirt, let go of my shirt. And I get up and I can't see what tube he's in or whatever and I'm running around, I can't, I can't find him. And then he starts yelling out for his older brother. He starts going, Braddock, he's got my shirt. He's pulling on my shirt. And I'm still trying to find. I'm going, there's some bully has got my youngest kid, and I can't crawl through these tubes. I can't fit. i got to get to him. What, what am I going to do? And I hear Braddock going, I'm coming. And he's, I hear, duh, 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 and he's, he's running through the tubes trying to find him. And I go around the corner, and I find the clear, like, end tube thing, and he's got, this kid has got my son pinned to the ground, by the shirt, and my, my older son, Braddock, is on the way. And I'm like, go, Braddock, go! 
You beat the snot out of that kid. Whatever you do. And he, he ran in and got into that little tube. And he grabbed that kid by the shirt and pulled him up off of Brody and looked him in the face. And he said, you stop pulling my brother's shirt or I'm going to punch you in the nose. And I was like, yeah. Just go ahead and punch him in the nose. Do it. Do it. I loved that picture. When Satan's got you pinned to the floor, when he's got you by the shirt, you just call out for your big brother. And he's already running. Not only is he part of the family, but he's got the strength to help you out. Not only is the brother there and ready and willing, but he's running full steam and he's got the God of the universe. He's got some power at his disposal to help you in your time of need. And so, last little chunk relates to it. If you skip a chapter and go to chapter four, famous little passage here for this fourth quality that really elevates our view of Jesus. That first one, Jesus made himself nothing so that we could have everything. That second one, that Jesus isn't embarrassed to be called your brother, even though sometimes we're embarrassed to admit that we're related to him. That third one, that Jesus has paved the road before us as a big brother and he's paving the way ahead of us. And here's this last one from 4 verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. In other words, in light of your view of Jesus getting higher and higher and understanding more and more of who he is. And he, this author was writing to these Jewish converts to Christianity who are starting to go back to old ways or merge it or just kind of do their own thing. He says, hang in there. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you'll see what this is all about. You don't need to rest on men's rules or regulations. You don't need to rest on your own thoughts. You need to lean into this Jesus. And the more you lean into him, the more firmly you can hold to this walk, to this relationship, to Christianity. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, you just gotta know that the arms of Jesus are gentle enough to hug you when you need it and strong enough to hold you when you need it. Some of you in this room, you just might need the hug, you need the sympathetic high priest 
You need the gentleness of God wrapped around you. And you need to know here this morning that he definitely knows what it's like to be you. He knows how hard it is to follow him. He knows how hard it is to fight temptation and sin because he's been there. He knows what it's like to be you. And it's that gentleness and that empathy and that sympathy that he reaches those arms out for you. But being in the very nature of God, he's strong enough to rescue you and pull you from that. And the closer you get to him, the more time you spend with him and in the word and prayer, church, Christian people, the spirit of God begins to just well up in you and give you strength to overcome stuff. But if you're doing it on your own, you're out of luck. And so approach Jesus confidently. Rush to him at your weakest, not away. Rush to him in your deepest moments of regret, not away from him. And as you do that, as you make yourself low, you'll see just how high and powerful he really is. As you hit your knees, I think the full power of what Jesus has already done and what he can do and what he will do becomes crystal clear. The starting and ending point for you to fight temptation is for him to increase in your life and for you to de decrease. To that end may you live. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, One, you just need to know that I, I love you so much and God loves you way more than I ever could. It was out of a heart of love for you and a heart to bring glory to himself that he sends Jesus to give us everything. That he gives us a big brother that's not embarrassed to be related to us. That he gives us a big brother who's walked the road before us and paving the one ahead of us. To give us a Jesus who's got gentle, strong arms to rescue us from sin. I'm excited to see over the next weeks what God does in our hearts and our lives as we just lean into him, as we rush to him, as we elevate our view of him in our day to day. And so Father, we thank you for this book of Hebrews and the principles that are alive and well there still matter to us today. For the things that we've missed about Jesus or never knew or just need to be reminded of, Lord, would you just begin to show us a picture of what could be when we understand who you are and who your son is. Lord, we need you. And so we just wrap up our time today putting you in the proper perspective and ourselves in the proper perspective as well. And then we just let you do the work and do the battle and do the fight against temptation and all the stuff that draws us away. 
We just cling to you. In Jesus' name.